Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are here with some exciting paperbacks that we are looking forward to sharing. We usually pick books that we have read before and are excited to see them in another format. And sometimes, well, I know sometimes for me, I pick books that <laughs> I didn't quite get to in hardcover. So I'm, I'm excited to get that prompt that I should read them again. So that's going to be our show. Plus, of course, talking a little bit about what we've been reading. So Gail, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Okay, so since we last talked, I'm still doing Spare, the Prince Harry memoir. I would say I'm two-thirds of the way there. I think he's going to meet Megan soon, so I'm definitely getting towards the more recent part of his life. I'm still really enjoying it, and I'll give a full report on it when I finish. The other book that I read and finished is called Zori by Laird Hunt. I don't know if you've heard of that. I think it came out maybe two years ago. And it's kind of this old fashioned book about a woman growing up like in the depression, I think is when she's born somewhere in the Midwest, Illinois. And she's kind of orphaned because her parents die. And then she moves in with an aunt who doesn't treat her well. And it's just about how she kind of makes her way through life. And through the decades, it's just sort of one of those quiet novels has what I think is a really old fashioned feel to it. It's written in sort of an old-fashioned, very literary style. It's, you know, one of those like quiet stories about a simple life, but but very compelling and engrossing. It, it's not very long. For some reason, it took me a long time to get through it. Maybe it was the language just felt so formal. And it, it, one, of the, one of those books also where you have to read really carefully because big things happen and maybe dispensed within a sentence or two. So if you're not paying really good attention, you might miss something very, you know, major plot points. I mean, big that happens. But I enjoyed it. It was, you know, just a little bit of a sort of uh, diversion or divergence from a lot of the contemporary fiction that I read, even though it's written, it's current and written, you know, it's not like an old book or anything, but it's just an old fashioned book. So I like that one a lot. And now I'm sort of flailing around trying to pick my next read, which is always a fun, a fun thing to be. I love being in that state where you're like, what's next? What's next? So I have a couple of candidates and then we'll see you next time. I'll report back on what I picked. This is so interesting because I feel like I've heard a lot about his books and I just looked up the profile in Goodreads and realized that this is a male author mm-hmm. and have danced around it and not have read anything. I feel like I have in the house in the dark of the woods on my shelf. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he has, you know, or flirts with horror, I guess, mm. in like, but like regular horror, <laughs> you know, mm. or more like real life horror, psychological or, you know, people who go missing or, yeah. That's interesting. I didn't really do much research on him. For some reason, I read about Zori somewhere. I don't even remember where. And I, put it on hold and it came in and I read it. So I didn't, I didn't delve into like his backlist or anything like this. Yeah. I do think he's a professor at Brown. I think he teaches in writing, but I didn't know anything. That's so interesting. There's literally nothing horror focused at all in Zori. It's very internal, 
quiet. I mean, it's about like life on a farm. Hmm. So there's nothing that would even, you know, verge on that. It's funny. I'm looking at his how people have, bio. well, I'm looking at how people have shelved his books on Goodreads mm-hmm. and there's horror, paranormal, thriller, <laughs> witches, yeah. civil war. When you said that um, you were reading him, it was like, oh, okay, Gail. <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah. Zori is definitely not. You found the category. one book <laughs> yes. of his. Exactly. Exactly. I would look at this. He edited a, a collection called American Midnight Tales of the Dark. With hmm. books by with stories by Edgar Allan Poe and Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah. See that <laughs> he's got this old fashioned feel like those writers, but the one I read is definitely not horror at all. So interesting. Well, yeah. leave it to you to find the one. So you <laughs> exactly. said you're considering a few more, like just what? what yeah. What well, we have a book club book that I need to read called The Net Beneath Us by, I think it's Carol Dunbar. I think that's the name of it. Um, that's our next book club book. Then I had a library book that I started called The Old Place. I think it's by Bobby Finger. And I just, you know, like within the first 20 pages, you can tell if a writing style is going to work for you. I just, like, I had a hard time getting through the first 20 pages. Not that it was bad. I just, I kept getting confused as to who was talking and there was something about the writing. And I said to myself, you know, why don't force this? Like, it's just a library book. Like, just return it. So I I don't, you know, I don't know why I feel like sometimes if I've committed beyond page one, then I like, I owe it to that book or author to finish it. And I need to shake that because I was about to say, you got to shake that off. Yeah. Cause what happens is then I, I force myself through it and I, and then I don't pick up the book and then I get in reading rut and then I get behind and then I'm annoyed and then I'm like, you know, frustrated. So I just said, so what if other people have liked this book? If it's not working for me, like just return it. So that's what I did. Oh, but, that, but that was just last night. So, <laughs> yeah. What are you reading? I feel like the question is, what am I not reading? Because I'm reading okay. a little bit of everything. I picked up this book by Naima Coster called Halsey Street. And mm-hmm. it's about this young woman who is, she's, when we meet her, she's living in Pittsburgh, you know, after she's dropped out of art school and she's working at a bar. Her father is kind of having some health issues She's estranged from her mother, who's gone back to live in the Dominican Republic. And it, you know, gets to the point where she needs to go home to take care of her father, or at least be in the neighborhood. You know, they live in Brooklyn. And, you know, on his birthday, he takes a fall outside a bar and she needs to, she says she needs to be in the area. So she goes back there, but she moves into the attic apartment of an affluent white couple who is living in the neighborhood in an increasingly gentrified Brooklyn. So I think it's about her life and how she becomes enmeshed in the Harper's lives and how she fits into their family and making a life there. But also her mother decides that she wants to get back in contact and pursue a relationship. So it's really good so far. Like I'm, I'm enjoying it. And it was just one of these books that caught my eye, started, you know, how you read a couple of pages. And, and I was just really drawn to the story. And I like that she has other books that are available because I'm really enjoying this one. Oh, good. And then the other book that I'm reading, I had mentioned last week is What Happened to Ruthie Ramirez by Claire Jimenez. And it's one that's going to be coming out in March. So it's a little bit of a pre-read, but it's also really good. It is about these two sisters and 
a mother who are living in Staten Island. You know, so it's the story of Jessica and Nina and Dolores, their mother, and their reaction to their sister went missing when she was 13 years old, Ruthie, you know, Ruthie Ramirez of the title. And they're just not sure what happened to her. Like if she met foul play, if she actually ran away from home. And then this woman appears on a reality show and she looks a lot like their sister. So then it is all about, you know, what their lives have been like in the years that she's been missing. And also, you know, trying to figure out whether this is their sister, you know, each of them takes a different approach and, you know, has, has progressed in their lives in different ways. You know, they're now in their early to mid twenties and starting families of their own. You know, the the mom has lost her husband, they've lost their father. So a lot has gone on since Ruthie has disappeared. And of course there are a lot of feelings if it turns out that she in fact did run away and is now on this reality show. And so they decide to go and confront her. (laughs) And, you know, even though it kind of has like a sad premise and I'm not through it, like, I don't know whether it's going to air in tragedy, if this is really Ruthie, why she decided to run. But there's like, even though it has this, these darker undertones, there's like a lot of humor in the story that is just built in who these women are. You know, it's not, not like it's trying to be funny, which I really appreciate. There's a book out that I keep thinking you would like. Have you heard of this book called Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone by Benjamin Stevenson? No. It's a mystery. And I think it's one of these mysteries where he, the author, like, is trying to do, like, a send-up of mystery tropes. You know, I don't read a lot of mysteries, but I've heard this described. I think I heard it on maybe on Sarah's podcast, but it just sounds like it would be up your alley. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up. I mean, even yeah. the title has me intrigued. Mm-hmm. I think it just came out. Did you watch that Netflix show with Kristen Bell? You know, it was like the woman across the street, down the road. I can't, I can never <laughs> no, remember the I title. Didn't. You didn't? No. <laughs> it was so over the top, but such a send up of everything. Like, <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. So, so silly. This one, this one, I don't know if it's like supposed to be a, let's see. It's- like it might be more mystery, but not quite so light. Yeah, it's like, I guess it's called like a meta mystery. Like, it's a clever winking story that, this is from somebody's Goodreads review, a clever winking story that nods to all the tropes of the genre. So I don't know, like, I think everyone has killed someone, but probably they've all, you know, done it in a different way for different motives or something. Right. This just seems like it would, that that you would like it. Yeah, I just, I wrote that down. I'm going to check that out. Okay, good. Okay. We have not talked about the Oscars. The nominations came out last week, and uh, there's a book that provided the basis for one of the adapted screenplays called Women Talking by Miriam Tews. Yeah, which we talked about a lot on the show in terms of something. I know it was something I wanted to read just because the premise is just so, I mean, it's, it's based on a true story. Right. But it's such a, like, wild story. Yeah. I'm going to try to read that before I see the movie and then both of those before the Oscars. Why didn't you tell us what it was about? Yeah. So it's about this group of, it's a very religious group of people living in isolation in somewhere in South America. I want to say it's like Brazil or Argentina or something. 
and they live in a, you know, it's a highly religious community. And the women of the community figure out that at night when they're asleep, they are being drugged by the men and raped. And so they start to figure out what's going on and they have to decide what are they going to do about it? Are they going to confront the men? Are they going to leave? Like, are they going to punish them? Are they going to attack them? What are they going to do? And so the women talking of the title is literally the women of this community talking through what their plan is going to be. And it was nominated for Best Picture and also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. It was adapted and or directed by Sarah Polly. I'm not sure if she did the who did the actual adaptation. But I just, I don't know, I've been really wanting to read that for a long time. And so now I've got like a little bit of a deadline. So I'm going to I'm gonna try to slot that in. It's not that long, I feel like. Yeah, I, don't think I think it's that right. long. Yeah. Were, was there anything else that was interesting in the Oscar? That's a great question. Let me pull up the ballot. I've got the ballot right here because I do an Oscar poll. I mean, an Oscar pool. Adapted screenplay was... All Quiet on the Western Front, which I believe is a classic. Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, which I was surprised to learn was adapted from something. Living, Top Gun Maverick, and Women Talking. What a strange group that is. <laughs> so, yeah. So not not much, you know, really standing out on the Literary Oscar book stuff. front? Yeah, not so much. Best Picture nominees are not really terribly literary in any way. Other than women talking, but did but you I'm like? I'm still excited. Any of them? Have, I mean, is there anything that is standing out to you? Mm, I saw the Banshees of Inisherin, which was very good. Super, super dark. Super. It's billed as a comedy. It's really not a comedy. There are comedic moments in it, and it's beautifully written. I loved the screenplay, but it was definitely not a. It was not a comedy. It was had a lot of real darkness to it. I saw the Fablemans, which is the semi-autobiographical movie by Steven Spielberg. And I thought it was really bad. Oh. So I don't recommend <laughs> that movie. Yeah. I just did not like that. Um, have not seen Top Gun, which I need to see. I have not seen Tar, which is the best picture nominee about a woman conductor by Kate with Kate Blanchett. Did you hear about this movie called To Leslie and the controversy around the best actress nomination it received about this? So there's a British actress named Andrea Riseborough, and she was in a small indie movie called To Leslie. And the way the Oscars work is that for the categories other than Best Picture, the members of the Academy who are part of that particular category are the ones who vote for it. So actors vote for actors, directors vote for directors, screenwriters vote for screenwriters, etc. So she was in this this movie that not a lot of people saw, but a bunch of A-list actresses like Jennifer Aniston and a couple of other ones, I can't remember who, they saw this movie. And I don't know if they were sort of like urged to do this or persuaded or what, but a bunch of A-list actresses started tweeting and posting about this performance by this woman to Leslie, this, this movie to Leslie by a woman named Andrea Riseborough. And it was kind of a last minute, like, viral like or i guess organic campaign right before the nominations were announced or i guess before the voting closed and she got nominated she edged out people who were in much more mainstream movies who are you know had huge marketing campaigns behind them from big studios and she got the nomination and so there was kind of a discussion about like was this fair like you know 
is it fair that all it takes is a couple of well-placed posts and tweets by, you know, influential people? And then there was a discussion that like it sort of became like an in-group thing to have actually seen the movie. Like if, if you were sort of in the know, if you'd seen the movie and so the posting about it, there was like a, a theory that they weren't necessarily posting to support the actress or not entirely to support the actress, but there was also this sort of like social currency that came with being, you know, having gotten the screener and being able to, right, having seen the movie. So I watched it because I was really curious about it. And it was great. Like, she's really, really good. And she deserves, definitely deserves a nomination. And, you know, I'm I'm glad I saw it. But it's just been an interesting little wrinkle. And, you know, there's always got to be some, like, Oscar controversy. So that was, that was this year's, is about this nomination for Andrea Riseborough. So I recommend it. I think I watched it on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. Yeah. I never think of, I forget about the streamers for Oscar. Oh, but yeah, so much has all... changed in that way. Yeah. Like you can probably watch almost everything. I, Women Talking apparently is not out on streaming yet, but I think it will be. I'm hoping it will be before the Oscars. So yeah, you can do all of this from your couch. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So paperbacks. So we're looking at paperbacks that came out. I did sort of the, most of the ones I have are from January and February. I did not f- find a lot this time. Like if I found it was hard for me to come up with ones that I thought were ones I wanted to recommend. And of the, f- I only have five. And of those, I've read three and two are on my TBR. Like you said, they missed them the first time around. Right. Okay. Yeah. I have about four or five. Okay. And similarly, they're Good. ones I will talk about. I don't know. I didn't feel like I had a lot of strong paperbacks, though, to talk about. Yeah. Maybe because this is a slow time of year, although there's a lot of great winter books out right now. I don't know. Maybe paperbacks are more of a summer thing, spring, summer, because they know people are traveling. and Maybe. Maybe a lot more come out then. Yeah, because I feel like in the summer months or even later in the spring, there's a ton of stuff, and this wasn't a lot. So yeah. the first one I will start off with is Honor by 3T Umrigar. It actually came out probably mid-October, November. So even last week or, or when I talked about this book, you would have been able to get it on paperback. And that is one of the stronger ones that I recommend. I really liked this book. Like I said, there was a little bit of a romance element that, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it could happen. It was just like one of those things that I... That wasn't what sold me on the book. It was just much more about the meat of the story, which is about a Hindu woman who marries a Muslim man. And then he is basically sacrificed. They set the place on fire. She's badly burned. He's killed. And she decides to bring a case against, you know, this community, the men in in her brother, her, her brothers, her two brothers were responsible. And also one of the community leaders in their village, you know, it's like a country village miles outside of Mumbai. And of course, there is a reporter who has come to do some investigating of the story. She gets really close to the case and she has something in her past that she's running from because she used to live in Mumbai and there's something that made her family leave when she was 13. And it's kind of like excavating the history there and her complicated feelings about her home country of India. So I really like 3D Amagar. I think she does a good job of telling these complicated stories. She, you know, tells a variety of them. I feel like she kind of just tackles different permutations of, 
you know, family troubles, like whether it's with adoption or, you know, in this case, an honor killing. She always does. She's really readable and she does a good job with her subject matter. I'm trying to remember which 3D Omergar book I read. There was one like several years ago and I know she's been a big, you know, you've been a big fan of hers for a long time. And I always have her books like uh, in sight, but I just, they're heavy, you know, and I don't always like, I, I find, I feel like I'm always like, oh, I'll read that later. Like it's, you know, it's, it's daunting a little bit. I think the first one that she read, did you read The Space Between Us or The Story Hour? The Story Hour. That's the one I read. Okay. Yeah, I think I, how'd you like The Story Hour? You liked it. Looking at my review, this was from 2014, so it's been a while. I said I was disappointed by it because I found it to be a little shallow. Like it was a little simplified. I know it was about these two women who get involved in each other's lives. And one is like in this marriage, an unhappy marriage, and one is a therapist. And I think the therapist, I think therapist ends up treating her. So I don't know. I, I didn't love it. Mm -hmm. The the space between us, I think I wanted to read, but I I don't think I ever got to it. There's another book and it's not by her that I wonder someone who writes similarly. I have everybody's son by her. Which I, mm-hmm. which I liked as well. I gave it four out of five stars. And that's the one about the white couple who adopts the black child and, and the father, the adoptive father is a judge. And, you know, kind of like, what has he done in, able to, in order to keep this, you know, boy from his family and, and whether it's right or not. So I think that she does try to take on complex issues. I can see how sometimes you might think, I could see how some of them could be shallow because I guess you can't go deep with everything. But I feel like the ones I've read, she's done a good job with. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my first paperback is one I have read, and this is Vladimir by Julia May Jonas. And this was a controversial book that came out two years ago, I believe. And it also had a controversial cover, and I'm curious to know whether they're going to keep the cover for the paperback or what the paperback's going to look like. Actually, it's already out. It came out on the 31st, or that's today. So I guess I could look it up and see if they kept the they kept the cover. But this is a book about a small college in New England, and there's a couple that's married that are both professors in the English department. And the husband has been it, it the husband I would say he's been accused, but he doesn't. He doesn't deny it. The husband has been revealed as having had a relationship, an inappropriate relationship with one of his students, a consensual relationship. And so he's on administrative leave from this English department. And his wife, who also teaches in the department, is dealing with like her husband. And she basically knew about it. And it seems like they had that kind of marriage, like a don't ask, don't tell type of marriage. But she's very just kind of disgusted and frustrated with him. And this young author, young yeah, young author comes to the school and for like a guest professor slot. And the woman, the professor, becomes obsessed with him. So he's younger than she is. And he's attractive and has like a young, hot wife who's also a professor. She's also working. And I forgot, she's not in academia, but she's kind of like hovering around. And so it's all about this obsession that the author has with this guy. And the kind of lengths that this obsession goes. It's not the most portrayal of older women. And I think that was one of the major controversies about this book is that she's, you know, she becomes obsessed with him. And 
Uh, there's also like the author is much younger and how could she have gotten in the head of, you know, 60 or 50 something year old woman. And so there was a controversy over that. The cover is this very like this man wearing kind of like a, like a velvet jacket and shorts, like this, this sort of looks like sleepwear, but he has, he's completely bare chested. So and weren't we trying to figure out, didn't you figure out that the covers were different depending on the audiobook or the... Well, the audiobook is square and the book is rectangular. So there's... So the stuff way gets that cut, the, cut off. It just gets cut off. Yeah. I don't okay. know if it was intentional, but you can see a different view of him in the in the, in the the cover of the paper of the book. It, you don't see that they're shorts. I, I mean, it doesn't really matter in the audiobook is just edited differently. Okay. So I'm looking at the paperback cover right now. Oh, so interesting. The, the paperback cover is the same green as his clothes. It's just corduroy. So all you see is the, it'd be like as if you took his shirt or his jacket or something and you did an extreme close up, and all you see is the material. There's You can't tell it's a person, but they kept the same emerald green. That's really interesting. So they must have really gotten pushback. But yet they wanted like <laughs> some sort of a nod to the cover. Right. So kind of interesting. Anyway, I actually really liked this book. I thought it was darkly funny. I, You know, whatever is going to happen, it's not going to end well. And it's you kind of get engrossed in this story. And I actually liked it quite a bit. So I understand the controversy. I understand the complaints people had about it. But I thought it was good. So if you were intrigued by this one and turned off by the cover get the paperback because you can avoid the like semi-naked man on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my next book is Mercy Street by Jennifer Hay. Gail and I discussed this one on the show. We had a book club about it. This is the one that is about a women's clinic in Mercy Street in Boston. And so it's about this woman, Claudia, who counsels patients there. And we delve a lot into her life and her upbringing and what brought her to working at Mercy Street. And then it follows a couple of different characters. There is Timmy, who is her drug dealer. You know, she smokes a lot of pot just because of what she sees at work each day. That is her release. And then it also follows an anonymous man who stands outside of the clinic. And then there's like this mysterious man who is kind of like pulling the strings of people who are camping outside of the clinic. And of course, all of these characters over the course of the novel converge and, you know, you, you recognize their relationships to each other, things that may not have been apparent as you are first beginning to read it, but it all comes to a head. And this one, I feel like it is such a nuance portrayal of, of a women's clinic, you know, that does abortions and like all of the different rules around like when you can have an abortion and when you get sent somewhere else. And plus these other shadow companies that, you know, mimic abortion centers so that they can delay women, women's termination of their pregnancies until it's like impossible. And it came out at such a time, you know, I think the original came out probably in January or February of last year, right before the, you know, Roe versus Wade was reconsidered and overturned with the Dobbs decision. 
So it came out at such an interesting time. I think my only complaint about this is it gets a little bogged down in some minutia and some of the characters, the male characters seem to be interchangeable or, you know, like have similar upbringing. So sometimes I didn't feel like they were as distinct, but, but there was also a lot about it that I really enjoyed and learned. Did you have anything to add on this one? No, I think that's a totally fair assessment of it. It was, it was hard sometimes to figure out which chapter we were in, like who, who was the chapter about because the characters were a little interchangeable. But I think in the end though, the sort of the cumulative effect of the book was very powerful and like, like you said, extremely timely. So what do you have up next? Okay, so my next one I have not yet read, but I would really like to read, and it is The Swimmers by Julie Otsuka. She wrote some other books that I've read in the past, like When the Emperor Was Divine, and some other, there was another one whose name is escaping me, but really, really good writing, very spare, short books that really pack a punch. And The Swimmers is about a group of people who swim at a public pool regularly in this community that they've built around the swimming and how important the exercise, the role of this exercise is playing in their lives. And then the pool, I believe they discover a crack in the pool and it has to be repaired. So they're without this community and this outlet that they are so dependent on. And one of the characters, I believe, is starting to experience dementia. So I think it's about aging and connection and it's supposed to be really sad, but really good. And I've seen this book mentioned in lots of year best of lists and things. And I just, I don't know, I really wanted to get to it last year. So that came out in paperback on the 24th of January. So the rest of the paperbacks that I have, I feel like they're not strong. I'd be telling you about them because I read them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have like much of an, you know, they were not very memorable for me. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I just want to skip them. Well, why don't you mention them? I have a couple like that. I have two like that. And then one I didn't read. So. Okay. Well, similar. So I have Like a Sister by Kelly Garrett. It is about this young woman who loses her sister. So her sister is an influencer who is out at her birthday party and then she is found dead in the Bronx. It takes place in New York. And, you know, the surviving sister is wondering why in the world she was up in the Bronx. And even though they are estranged, she decides that she wants to get to the bottom of her sister's death. She feels like something does not add up. She knows that her sister would never be in that area. And their father is a record label mogul. So it's a lot about, you know, whether his ties to the community, like whether his ties had anything to do with his daughter being killed because he's had like a rivalry going on with some other record label, someone who he used to work with. And, you know, the dead sister might have been on drugs, but just she's examining a lot of different avenues that might have led to her sister being in this unlikely place and ending up dead. This is based, I feel like it's loosely based on a case that I vaguely remember. It was like a record producer's daughter, a young black woman was found dead. And it turned out that she was pregnant and she was found dead under a bridge in the Bronx. And it may have been like a drug situation gone wrong. So it feels like this story is kind of loosely based on that. It was okay, but I can't say that I like when I think back on it, 
I read it, but it was not, I don't think I read it very quickly. And I don't, I just wasn't left with a lot after reading it. It was okay. Okay. And then I'll just say my other one like that was Find Me by Ala Fairberg. This one is about a woman who was in an accident. She was found in an overturned vehicle, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years before. She never finds out who she is, but this small town in New Jersey kind of just takes her in, even though she doesn't have any clue about who she is. And she, she forms this friendship with a woman who lives there. And she finally decides that she wants to spread her wings a little and branch out. And so then she takes a job as an assistant to a realtor, but then she turns up missing. So it's all about finding her and finding out what the story was and why she has gone missing again. You know, it was like one of those books that I read at the time. I'm sure it was fine. It was enjoyable, but I just really don't remember that much about it. And of Alifair Burke's work, as I look at some of the reviews on this, it's like it's middle of the road. It's like three and a half stars. So I will save my, I will save the one that I didn't read for after you go through your next two. Okay. So the first one is The Golden Couple by Sarah Pekinen and Greer Hendricks. So and, and remind me, you did read this or you did not read this? I did read that. I didn't you see did. that one, but I, I sounds like I liked it more than you did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I It was funny. As I was preparing for the show, I was like, wait, what happened again? I, so the premise of this is that there's a woman who's a sort of a very non-traditional like marriage therapist and or therapist in general. And she takes on clients and has kind of a, unorthodox way of dealing with her clients' problems and helping them get over overcome them. So this couple comes to her, they've the the wife has had an affair and the husband they're trying to get past it and they're trying to, you know, resolve issues in their marriage. And as the book goes on, this therapist, as is her way, gets increasingly more involved in the couple's lives and starts to, you know, not stalk them, but starts to delve into what's happening with them. And then she's got her own issues and her own personal life. And then they, you know, that's what I was trying to remember. I'm like, but wait, what happened? So like, that's the setup. And I remember kind of the first like two thirds of the book. And then I know there's like, you know, as always with most Greer, Hendrick, Sarah Pekinen books, a somewhat explosive ending where there's some twists and turns and I couldn't remember what they were. But then I looked at my review and I really, I liked the book. I, you know, I thought it was exactly what I was expecting. I said it kept my attention, had some unexpected twists and turns. It was set in DC. It was set like, like some of it was set like right basically outside my house. So I could picture exactly what was happening the whole time. And, you know, I knew, I really understood the references they were making. So at the time I liked this book. I just, for the life of me, don't really remember like what, I have a very vague sense of what happened in the end. So if you're okay with like not the most memorable book, but a good experience while you're reading it, then I think it's a good pick. And maybe that's fair for a thriller. I mean, how many thrillers do we read? It's like, well, what happened at the end? Yeah. That um, seems to happen to me a lot. That yeah. Like I think that unless rate. you have like something, an explosive ending, sort of like the ending of Gone Girl or, you know, something where it just bothers you so much, you know, it's usually, okay, you figure out who did it and that's it. But I did like the setup of of, I love the setup of this book and I like the counseling sessions and stuff like that. Yeah. And the back and forth, you know, just, just her approach to therapy and, you know, the therapist 
claim to fame is what she can fix you. You only get 12 sessions or something. Yeah, but she guarantees she'll fix things. You only get 12 sessions and you absolutely can't lie to her. And and she does a bunch of research and to, <laughs> to right. keep up, keep tabs on people. So that was interesting. Yeah. The other one on my list that I did read is coming out on the 14th of February, and that's called Groundskeeping by Lee Cole. This book got a lot of attention when it came out. It's literary fiction by a guy, sort of like, I don't know, it's like white man literary fiction is kind of what I call it, (laughs) that gets a lot of critical acclaim from lots of male reviewers. I don't know, is that like a huge, it's probably unfair. But it's a book about a guy in who's also a writer, and he is a graduate student. He's kind of gone off course in his life. He sort of had this promising academic career, and then he like started smoking a lot of pot and you know took himself off the academic track. And so he's trying to kind of get his life back on track. And he moves back to his small town that he lives in, I think in Missouri, somewhere in the Midwest, and he gets a job at a college doing groundskeeping, like literally, you know, joins a crew of people who go around the campus and tend to the trees and, you know, take down trees when they need to and do the, keep the grounds neat and, and, you know, healthy. And so it's just about his trying to get his life back together. And he has sort of a problematic relationship with his grandfather and his, I think it's his father or his brother. Like there's lots of family issues going on. He's moves in with his grandfather, like living in the basement and, you know, just kind of about like how he sort of learns to like redeem his life. I thought it was fine. The writing was good, but it was, it just took a long time to get through it. It, you know, kind of like Laird Hunt, like I was saying in the beginning, that kind of somewhat dense literary read type of style but it was just I don't know it it was I, I, I mean I thought it was good I just I, I think it got a huge amount of hype when it came out and I wasn't quite sure that it was worth the hype hmm. all right well the book that I that came out in paperback that I was I'm kind of on the fence about reading actually is fake by Erica Katz mm, looks I like overall one. it's like 3.63 on Goodreads but you know some people have given it four stars. It is about the art world and art forgeries. Emma Khan is someone who can spot fake art and can also create fake art. So she specializes in recreating 19th century paintings, but she does it, you know, she's not doing it illegally. She's doing it in a way that it's, you know, like reproductions or whatever. So she she's at an art gallery and she runs into an art collector And he gives her an invitation and like invites her to just like be, have this new job. And she sees a new way that she can support her mother who's really sick and, you know, like have a kind of have money and a stable lifestyle, but there's something shady involved. And so it's like all about her dilemma in, in keeping this job, keeping quiet and supporting her mother and supporting her dreams. But, you know, she is also getting pulled further and further into like the illegal world of art. And she wrote also the boys club, which I think you read. And I started reading and I didn't finish it. Like it was just like, it wasn't particularly bad, but it just wasn't, whatever was going on, wasn't that exciting. I don't think she was that into, into her boyfriend and her life as a lawyer was really repetitive in terms of the drinking. And I don't know, I just, it was a, 
it was a softy enough for me. It wasn't like, oh my God, I don't like this book. So I'm putting it down. It was more just wandering away from it and just never remembering to pick it back up, which is what puts me on the fence. Did you like the boys club? Mm-hmm. Nostalgia. Yeah, I did like the boys club because I have like sort of, you know, familiarity with the world of law. Right. I did like it. I thought it was like a quick and interesting read. I I think I mentioned on a show earlier that I like these like deep dives into other workplaces and other, you know, just like we're almost like a workplace memoir, like that bully market one I just read about the, you know, world of investment banking and you know, Goldman Sachs. The boys club is fiction, but it is based on her experience working at the firm. So it's like thinly veiled f- fiction. So I liked it. And I do have a fake somewhere in the house. And I had, you know, it's like on the list somewhere, but it's not very high. I don't know. Something about the art forgery doesn't like, it doesn't get me that excited. <laughs> so maybe we'll, maybe I'll really like the art forgery one and you, <laughs> and you like right. the, lawyer, the lawyer one. Maybe we should force ourselves and read it together just to like give Uh-oh. it its due. I don't I smell know. Smell a book club book. Right. Which we have to talk about, but maybe next show. Like what we're okay. doing. What yeah. we're reading. Okay. I had one more book, which is one I have not read that just is coming out on the 7th of February. And it's called Joan is okay by Wiki Wang. And it is about a young ish ICU doctor in New York city. She's the daughter of Chinese immigrants and she is living this very work focused life kind of as a way of escaping and not dealing with what's going on around her. And her parents live in China. Her father dies suddenly of a heart attack and her mother decides to come to the U S to visit her and her brother, who is like a successful, I don't know what he does, but he's successful and lives in Connecticut. And so she is, you know, kind of living this very hermetic, well, not hermetic, but this very super work focused life in New York. And her family is like, why are you, why do you work so hard? Why don't you, you know, go like get married and have a family. And so she's kind of bucking the like expectations of her, of what her family thinks she should be doing. And she just kind of has to come to terms with that. Like, why does she want this life that she has? And, you know, how does she deal with her, her mother who's coming to visit? And then I think it sort of starts to take on the pandemic because she's an ICU doctor. So it's kind of all about like living, you know, living as an ICU doctor through the pandemic days. So I, she had a book out called Chemistry, which I never read. And I keep seeing this Joan is okay book around everywhere. And it was on all these paperback lists for February. So I thought I'd include it here, but I haven't read it. And I don't really know much about it beyond what I've shared. Okay. All right. Well, that's our list of paperbacks. I think we each had three that were, (laughs) (laughs) that we considered worthwhile. (laughs) Right. Right. Another couple that were kind of crapshoots. Yeah. Interesting that it was like, it was the thrillery type books. Yeah, it is interesting. That were kind of like, you know, who knows, probably closer to when I read them, I was more excited about them. But in passing, it's like, what was this book about? They kind of blend together a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. All right. Well, that's our show. And until next show, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. 
Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.